You're listening to episode 19 of the Copyright and Intellectual Property Podcast. I'm Jason Tucker, and I've settled over a billion dollars in copyright claims for the world's largest studios. Over the last 15 years as the expert pirate hunter, IP problem solver, and enforcer, I have helped shape copyright law, the processes, and the landscape that exists today. So how do you keep your IP organized, protect it from pirates, and make even more money off of your content? With real-life insight and stories from the trenches, this is the Copyright and Intellectual Property Podcast. DMCA takedown abuse, counter notifications, and how to fight back. People send real and fake DMCA notices to get content removed and accounts terminated. At times, takedown strikes are used to get back at people. If companies don't have a reasonable repeat infringer policy, they can be held liable as if they committed the infringement. Cox currently owes Universal Music Group, Warner Music Group, EMI, Sony, and others $1 billion for copyright infringement as a result of not implementing a reasonable repeat infringer policy. So what can you do if someone sends a DMCA takedown notice about content you posted? These are just a few of the items we're going to discuss on this episode of the Copyright and Intellectual Property Podcast. DMCA takedown notices were designed to assist content owners in having infringing content removed from locations that are purportedly infringing content. Over time, it's become easier to write and send a DMCA takedown notice, and receiving companies have better systems for dealing with notices. In this episode, I'm not going to dive deep into liability. I want to focus on how I see people using the strike policy and takedown notices to exact revenge on others. Before I do, I will briefly touch upon some of the rules of the game called intellectual property enforcement. So from my experience, companies handle takedown notices in one of three ways. Upon receipt of a notice, they remove the content. They ignore the notice and leave the content where it is until the notice is escalated to the host level or other levels or until a lawsuit is filed. Or in the instance of user-generated sites like YouTube or Twitter or others like that, they disable access to the content, send the user who posted the content a notice that they received a takedown notice, and give that user the opportunity to file a counter-notice. If the company who received the notice gets a valid counter-notice, they more often than not put the content back up, let the person who sent the original notice know that a counter-notice has been received, and wait to see what the original sender does. Now, from my understanding, under the Digital Millennium Copyright Act, the DMCA, at this point, if the content owner doesn't file a lawsuit against the poster, aka uploader, within a limited period of time, the content stays up and that particular matter is considered closed. When a company receives a valid takedown notice and the content is removed, the person who posted the content to that site gets a strike against them. So under the DMCA, websites are supposed to implement what is called a reasonable repeat infringer policy. After a person gets enough strikes, that user is to be terminated from the site. Under the law, there's no absolute as to what reasonable means. No case has created a situation where an exact number of strikes defines what is considered reasonable. Now, cases have defined what is unreasonable. Many sites like YouTube and Twitter post their repeat infringer policy and make clear what reasonable is to them. Some sites consider, uh, uh, it's like baseball, some sites just consider three strikes and, and you're out to be reasonable. I've seen it defined 
different ways though. I've seen it defined as three strikes in a 30 day period. I've seen strikes counted so many different ways. Uh, One of the ones that frustrates me, one example is strikes counted as one day, no matter how many notices or links they receive on a notice about a particular user in that day. Meaning a user could have a hundred different pieces of content or a notice or a hundred notices, but if those notices are received in one day, a 24 hour period, that counts as one strike. Uh, And then I've seen it taken past that to say, and the three strikes have to be in a three month period. Sorry, that one frustrates me. Suffice to say, there's no absolute standard. YouTube is considered a site that sets a standard from which many follow, but again, nothing's absolute, and unfortunately, not everybody follows that. The person who puts the content on a site can be held liable, i.e. be made to pay for putting that content on the site. It's called infringing the work of another or copyright infringement. So under U.S. law, if you infringe the work of another, you can be held liable. Civil liability can result in damages that can reach as high as $150,000 per infringement. And in some instances, that person or company can be made to pay the legal fees you would incur for enforcing your rights. With actual damages, the copyright owner is entitled to recover the actual damages suffered as a result of the infringement and any profits of the infringer that are attributable to that infringement. In certain instances, there are criminal penalties that can include jail time. If a website doesn't implement a reasonable repeat infringer policy, insert air quotes there, the website or service provider can also be held liable as if they themselves put the infringing content on the website. What can that look like? On December 19th, 2019, a Virginia jury decided Cox Communication was liable for the infringement of over 10,000 pirated songs. The bill? $1 billion in damages. How did the jury get to that number? They found Cox liable for about $100,000 per song. A group of studios that included Sony Music and Universal Music Group and Warner Music Group and EMI and others sued Cox for, among other claims, not instituting or following a reasonable repeat infringer policy. So whether it was regular oversight or not by Cox, the studios found that after sending hundreds of thousands of notices, it took on average of 13 strikes for Cox to terminate an account. In my opinion, and the opinion of that Virginia jury, 13 strikes is ridiculous. Now, Cox is going to appeal this decision, and either the amount is going to get knocked down or they will settle for a lower amount. Here's the crazy thing. Cox has been in this position before. In 2015, BMG sued Cox, and they won a huge amount And of course, in the similar situation, Cox eventually settled. You may be thinking, well, if if they've been here before, why not do something? My answer is because based on results, the cost of doing business is worth more than the lawsuits. So briefly, here's what that means. It takes time to build a case of this magnitude and years to fight it. In that time, users are paying Cox every month for services. If they can keep the user as long as possible and know they can market or upsell to them for years, that has value. Now, if your suit is an infringer of one work or massive amounts of work, you can create a scenario where your legal costs are part of a monthly budget, meaning the cost to defend yourself in a scenario like this is just a part of a monthly budget. Also, 
the end game is not typically going to be what a judge or jury says you owe, but what you can negotiate with the other side after they've spent a lot of time and a lot of money. So in the end, you may take a hit, but you still made money that whole time if you have a business model that's recurring. So the hit in that scenario isn't that hard. When that company is public, when it's timed correctly, you can dress that hit up so that it doesn't affect the stock price. That's basically what I mean by it's the cost of doing business. So all of what I shared so far is what is supposed to happen or does happen when people are being somewhat honest. So let's talk about what I've been seeing more and more, and this is what's happening when people are attempting to use the system, abuse the process, the DMCA to get back at another. If my voice sounds a little hoarse, I'm sorry I lost it. I've seen and heard that people are sending DMCA takedown notices to YouTube to have competitors' content taken down, but really in the hope of getting enough strikes on their account to have it terminated. I've seen DMCA takedown notices sent to Twitter by competitors attempting to have another person's account shut down. The secret sauce, if this happens to you, and if the notice is truly bogus, is to send the service provider who notified you what is called a DMCA counter notification. Now, YouTube and Twitter have links to their own form generator, or, or you can just write an email one. Like a DMCA notice, a counter notification contains certain information. You have to identify the removed content, state that you have a good faith belief that the content has been misidentified. You include your name, address, and phone number. You have to submit to the jurisdiction of the U.S. federal courts and sign it under penalty of perjury with your electronic signature. I have included a link to information on filing a counter notice in the show notes and a sample of a do-it-yourself DMCA counter notice that you can use to make it uh, pretty easy to just write and send one. So basically, you, the sender, represent that the content is not infringing or you are giving a reason why you are entitled to use the work. And there are a host of reasons why the content posted may not be infringing. Uh, Among them, from my understanding, and this is not a full list, are uh, the complaining party didn't include a copyright registration information or evidence that the content is even copyrighted. The complaining party isn't the owner or authorized representative of the owner. This is a big one that I see or that your use of the content falls under fair use. And for this one, as it relates to to YouTube, attorney Ian Corzine uh, has a few animated videos on what fair use is and how it works on YouTube. And again, I've linked that in the show notes. Another one is the DMCA notice wasn't a valid notice that comported with notification requirements under the DMCA. You know, I would caution you. I mean, if you're going to start sending these, just just be right. You don't want to file a bogus DMCA counter notice. But if you valid claim, like it's it's you believe it's fair use, or the person that sent it isn't the owner or authorized representative, then yeah, you you have a legitimate gripe there. So before we continue, if you're in this situation that could be a copyright infringement dispute, as always, it doesn't hurt to talk to an attorney. I'm not one, but this process can be flipped as well. You could send a valid DMCA takedown notice to have content you own taken down. And another person can send a counter notice and put you in a potential bind. So again, under the rules of the DMCA, when a counter notice is filed, the content owner has a limited amount of time to file a lawsuit. Otherwise, the content goes back up. 
But what happens if the person who files a counter notice is not the owner, but someone lying? That exact situation occurred to a client earlier this year. Like most episodes, it's a wild story. And for this one, it's more appropriate to call it like a ballsy story. All right. So I was involved in a situation that quickly turned into a lawsuit and ended once we quite dramatically called this well-known pirate hacker's bluff. This was another one for the books. The short story is that the owner filed bogus DMCA counter notifications claiming that he owned the content, i.e. a library of full-length movies, and that our client did not have the right to be sending DMCA takedown notices. Included a fake name and redirecting contact information. And if he would have done this with another company or person, I imagine he would have had some success. And I wouldn't be surprised if he's had success in the past because he did it with a level of understanding. So again, under the rules of the DMCA, when a counter notice is filed, the content owner has a limited amount of time to file a lawsuit. Otherwise, the content goes back up. So people do abuse this and file counter notices, anticipating nothing will happen. Uh, Unless, of course, you poke a 10,000-pound gorilla and, and our client is that awesome gorilla. So here's the long version of what happened. All of this happened really fast. We did this like in, in pretty much a week. So our client was sending valid DMCA takedown notices for, for months to Google and other search engines to list uh, links that displayed their infringing content on this particular site. We had been sending valid DMCA takedown notices to the site owner and eventually to their host and CDN provider to have the infringing content removed from that site. The owner of the site, who was also posting the content, was ignoring our notices. So once we escalated the notices, about four out of every 50 links came down. Plain and simple, it was obvious the owner was playing games. The owners I shared had sent counter notices to Google claiming ownership of the movies. So we were able to get in contact with the owner. The information that we had was good for for communicating, but that was it. This person is a big-time hacker who knows how to cause real damage. So we had a few good chats. And as a result, every time we chatted, he took a little bit more down. Nothing substantial. But get this. The owner was, to, to put it mildly, quite upset that we were delisting his links in major search engines. And again, this is another great example of a site operator seeing nothing wrong with pirating massive amounts of movies for his profit and our client's loss. That one I think is worth repeating. He was upset that his links displaying pirated content that he blatantly repurposed were being delisted. Full-length movies, a ton of them. So as you can imagine, he had a lot of traffic going through his site, and I'm sure he was making good money with it. So my first attempt, I just wanted to get him to comply with takedowns. It was a pretty soft approach considering the situation. And if he was willing, our client was fine not turning him upside down and taking whatever money fell out while absolutely crushing him. Now, because of time and his blatant disregard for the notices, we had no other choice. We sent DMCA subpoenas out to the service providers. So once he got wind of the subpoenas, he got a little nervous because he didn't want us outing his real information. He he did let that slip in a chat, but his nervousness presented as hostility. So instead of working with us, he thought he would hack his way out or use the system to stop us. Now, I, I can't go into detail but I can share that he made a valid threat and proved he could act on that. So if you've listened to my podcasts before, 
you know that I'm not big on negotiating with terrorists. Our client is absolutely not in the business of negotiating with terrorists. So the response was a very aggressive lawsuit, just just aggressive. Uh, can you even put those two words together? Well, it was a, it was an aggressive lawsuit. So the claims included copyright infringement, contributory copyright infringement, vicarious copyright infringement, and attempted civil extortion. The statutory damages at maximum value equaled almost a billion dollars. The lawsuit, coupled with a few other moves, resulted in the site operator smartly and finally deciding to turn over his domain and agree to never use our client's content again or ever speak about our client even in private circles. Uh, So in, in this instance, we were fortunate because we had the means to act and act very fast to body slam the situation. Most don't have that ability. Now, this doesn't mean that you can't do anything. If you can prove the counter notice is fake, you could make headway with a service provider. In this instance, he was also trying to act like the service provider. So it was a little bit of a different situation. YouTube took action earlier this year against a copyright troll who was using this process to try and extort money from YouTube users. YouTube has a uh, three strikes policy before they terminate accounts. Now, the troll... Knowing this would send false DMCA takedown notices against the user, two of them. And then they would send an email to the user saying that if they didn't pay them a certain amount of money, the troll would send a third notice causing their account to be terminated. So users rightfully freaked out and and some of them paid. Uh, A smart, well-known user let YouTube know what was going on. Uh, Now, YouTube, a service provider with no liability in this scenario, made a big move for its user base. YouTube sued the troll, and they made it very public. They made this suit so loud and loud enough to let others know, if you mess with YouTube users, there will be consequences. This case obviously settled, but more importantly, the public message was made clear, and that was, again, don't mess with our users. Another benefit to that suit is if this happens on another large platform, there's now a legal template to use as a way to fast-track resolution. So I throw major kudos to YouTube for for acting. So to wrap this up, I I hope that you walk away with the following information. If a DMCA notice is filed against you and it's false, you can file a, a counter notice. If a false counter notice is filed against you, you can take action. First being to contact the service provider and do what you can to prove it's false. If you are regularly registering your copyrights, then proving you own content is easy. You'll have a registration form and a registration number to show. And if you haven't received a number yet and followed my steps, you'll have a PDF of the case filing with the copyright office and a case number to show the service provider. Beware of strike scammers and out those who try and extort from you. Report them. It's important, even if it's minor, because you never know how that can start a case or help deal with a scammer. At times, People will use the internet to try and abuse you, take your money and scare you, but don't give in. If you're in the right and can prove you're in the right with evidence, then you can fight back. If it's big enough deal, large companies may do the fighting for you or with you. Don't abuse the DMCA. Uh, Just please use it for what it was intended for. If your content is being infringed, use the proper legitimate takedown procedure. If a site is not taking content down or terminating the infringing user, document everything as I've explained in other episodes and show it to an attorney who specializes in litigating intellectual property cases. 
If you're going to make money from someone else's work, do the right thing and license it. Uh, and lastly, thank you for listening to this podcast because my voice is scratchy and you, you uh, hopefully you've been able to understand me. As always, I hope that this information helps you better protect your content and defend yourself, especially against strike scammers. I, I'm more than happy to answer questions inside of our uh, Facebook group at Intellectual Property HQ Community. You can follow me on Twitter at Intel Prop HQ, I-N-T-E-L-P-R-O-P-H-Q. If the podcast episode of the blog post was informative or helpful to you in your endeavors, please subscribe and share it with your friends. Together, I believe we can help a lot of people. Also, please take a moment and leave us a five-star review on iTunes. Uh, happy hunting. Jason Tucker is not an attorney. All of the information shared on this free podcast is his opinion and not legal advice. Be sure to subscribe and rate the show on iTunes. See you next time. Oh, 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 oh